Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. Right, so welcome to the podcast, Brave, Bold, Brilliant. I'm your host, Jeanette Linford, and I'm here today with the wonderful Nick Irvin, who is the partner of Howgate Sable, a really fantastic executive search company. Welcome, Nick. Well, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be involved. <laughs> excited, excited. So we are going to be talking all about the world of recruitment, executive search, what you guys do as a business, but also how you got into the industry and everything in between. So it's going to be massively useful for people listening because high-performing teams is at the heart of any business, as we yes, all know. Yes, that's correct. Um, but also interesting to hear about your story and background. So let's start there, shall we? Okay, okay. <laughs> so I've listened to a few of these in advance of this. Um, so I'll start with where I'm, I'm from. So I was born uh, in 78, um, so I'm 43, and I uh, was born just outside Liverpool. Um, Dad is from Liverpool and my mum is from Widnes, which is a, a little town just, uh, just nearby. Um, so I had a really lovely childhood with those guys. My dad is a teacher by trade mm. and my mum um, worked in a bank. And actually, um, she had the most senior job when um, I was born and uh, my dad was sort of finding his way in teaching. Um, and then she left to, to sort of bring me up, um, as was the case in those days. Um, but I had a great childhood. It was fantastic. Um, the little field at the back of where I live, we could play football, we could do sports, you could play outside with friends, and it was a really lovely time. Um, I didn't have any brothers or sisters, so I'm an only child, um, but I do have a wonderful close family and a set of friends, which have kind of gone the distance with me. Mm. Um, so it almost felt like I had brothers and sisters when I didn't, biologically, of course. Um, but the journey was amazing. And then I, I went to the local comprehensive school, um, and, and did pretty well at school, if I'm being honest about it. Um, went on to Sixth Form College, I did my A-levels in uh, uh, Geography and Economics and ended up going to university to read Geography, which was a great time, I loved it. And actually I, I was really into volcanoes and things like that <laughs> as, 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 a, as a younger man. And I had this massive ambition to go and um, walk at volcanoes, a bit like Pierce Brosnan did in the film Dante's Peak. Um, <laughs> cause I thought it'd be all that glamorous and dangerous. Um, <laughs> As it turns out, I had a job at the same time with Morrisons um, and they employed me to pretty much be a dog's body because my dad said to me at the time and, and, and a lot of influence in my career is from him and my mum, if you get a job somewhere, I will fund your accommodation at university but you need to work to pay for the rest, mm. which I thought was a fair trade. Because my degree was geography, I actually probably worked harder in the vacation period than the actual degree time, but that's all the story altogether. <laughs> um, and uh, then when it came to graduation, I, 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 I thought about pursuing the, the volcanology stuff. Mm. I thought about it seriously, but I got a taste of earning money when I worked for Morrison's. So I applied for the Morrison's graduate programme and 
they said, oh no, we're not going to recruit, we're going to do it in a couple of months' time. And I, I, I was quite impetuous and wanted to get on with it, so I wrote to Asda, which was in the process of being acquired by Walmart at the time. And I managed to get on their graduate programme in, in operations in retail ops. And that started a sort of five-year journey with the company um, in a variety of very different roles. So from the ground up, working in stores, helping open new shops as, de as de what we call department manager, it's all very different now, um, then moving to head office. And probably the, the culmination of that was working for one of the main board um, as a project manager. Yeah. So I was effectively pulling together reports for pretty senior people in the organisation um, so they could, I guess, feedback on how the business was running, what to do next, etc., etc. And one of the more memorable moments was sitting in a room with all the exec one Monday morning. And I won't name the exec board, but if you, you see my profile, you see the era I was there. Mm -hmm. There were some pretty big names. And one of the execs said that um, the big four supermarket chain at the time need to be careful because they'll be caught out when people realise the quality that Aldi and Little are bringing to the table. Mm. And it was proved to be right. Yes. Um, with, the, you know, with the rise of the discounters. So that was an amazing time for me to learn from those guys. It probably got me into headhunting as well. Mm. Because my boss would send me into competitor stores to approach the general manager and have a chat about whether they wanted to come and join Asda. Which I did reasonably successfully. Um, so I suppose at that point I got a bit of a bug for, for recruitment and people. And I, I saw an advert for um, consultants with Michael Page, which is obviously a listed global recruitment business. I joined them in London um, as a consultant in their HR division, which was a fascinating time. And I ended up consulting on, on mid to senior HR management recruitment in London, particularly in property and business services. That went really well. And um, I I'd harboured a desire to, to move home at the time, because obviously, I'm, as you can tell, I'm from the north and I was living in London. Um, partly because I wanted to do it and partly because my dad uh, needed a, a bypass operation. Right. His heart. And that was very successful and, and Touchwood continues to be so. But it, it kind of provided the catalyst to move home. So I did. And I ended up um, running a business for them, a startup business in HR recruitment in Leeds, which, which went well. It had its struggles, its ups and downs, but it went well largely. Um, and then I moved into the senior hiring division, which was an executive search practice, which was a little bit different than the ones you see now. Um, but nonetheless good experience for me and I you know, had a positive time there. Um, and then a friend of mine, a guy called Neil Humphreys, who's now my business partner, um, called me to say, what are you doing about your career? <laughs> That's a big question. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe he got windows a bit, maybe looking for a new job, I don't know. But um, it, it was a timely call or whatever and I ended up having a conversation with, with him, which after a number of meetings with partners from Howgate led to a uh, a job offer as, as a partner with, with Howgate Sable, a salaried partner. Um, now, bear in mind I'd worked for one of the largest retail groups in the world and one of the largest and most well-known mid-management recruitment businesses in the world. Mm. Going from that corporate life to, you know, a, a small office in Manchester with some great people, don't get me wrong, but pretty much your own desk, your own office, your own phone. Mm. Was, was quite quite daunting, um, but actually proved to be the best move I've ever made. So, so I suspect we're going to talk more about this in detail as we go through, but I'll keep it short. But that started my love affair with, with Executive Search and also with some of the people I got to work with and the clients I now act for. 
And, and in 2015, I, I took an equity stake in the firm, um, which was, again, another leap of faith because actually I was on a salary and you know doing reasonably mm. well and, and mm. all that stuff. But this was about my own money and whether I could make it work as, 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 a, as a part owner of a, of a successful business. Um, and it started really well and continued to be really solid. And then we had this thing called COVID. <laughs> uh, and and we will talk about it later, but obviously my area of interest by this point was aviation. So when you hear that most airlines you've ever heard of are going to put their airplanes on the ground, mm. pretty much wherever they are, you see most of your revenue streams going out the front door. Yep. And then it got interesting. <laughs> and as we look back on that period now, the firm is in a very different shape and size, but well organised for growth, which is the exciting bit for me now. Yeah, well, fantastic. What a counter through. So what I want to do is, if I may, I just want to kind of go back a little bit. and yeah. we, we will go back and go forward. We'll, we'll switch in and out a little bit, Nick, if that's all right. But, you know, when you were with your corporate, I mean, essentially you've gone from corporate to entrepreneur, really, in, in, in the sense of being a business owner now. And, you know, and, and actually, obviously, the clients you deal with are big businesses, big yes. brands that everyone knows. But for you personally, you know, you've gone from that big corporate world to a smaller organisation to yep. being a business owner, and, and it is different. But my, my question to you is, you were exposed at board level very early in your career, and it sounds like when you were at ASDA, you had a lot of responsibility, quite young age, really. Yes, that's like, true. You know, that's given true. the things you were doing and the people you were working with. You were privy to information that most 23-year-olds wouldn't be privy to. Yeah. I yeah. think. And that was... You should never underestimate the the privilege that you had, but you should also treat it with respect. Mm, mm, yeah. Do you think that helped you with your presence and the ability to be engaged with your clients and executive level? Because you operate at the highest level, right? I mean, an executive search is uh, is is not for the faint-hearted. You know, demanding clients. You have to be able to understand the pressures that comes from those kind of positions and the clients that you have today. But do you think that experience you had when you were much younger in your career has stood you in good stead for what you do now? I think it was fundamental mm. because actually, you know, if you've got the chief exec of a major retail group asking you whether your information is accurate, because he's going to make some decisions about people based on that information, that did happen, mm. then you have to be able to hold your own and be sure of yourself. Clearly there was you know, bumps in the road and clearly they understood that they were dealing with a less experienced person, because obviously they were. But nonetheless, it didn't half sharpen you up. Mm. Uh, and actually, I enjoyed being exposed to those guys. I enjoyed learning about how the business run and how the business behaved and what it wanted to do. And actually, that kind of informs a lot of how I am now when I'm talking to customers about what we Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think the other thing about your, how you started your career, you said you were hired by Morrisons to yeah. be the general dog's body and just do whatever needed yeah. to be done. Yeah. But you were quite client-facing, presumably, then. You were in touch with customers day-to-day and stuff as well, were you? Yeah, and, 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 and Morrisons taught me a lot about hard work and finishing a job properly. Right. You know, because my job most of the time was making sure the shop was looking nice for the next day. Mm. Yeah, and actually, that was the big thing, so the customers would be happy. And obviously, Sir Ken Morrison is, is famously a shopkeeper, 
the late second Morrison, I should say. And that was the culture that they had. It was very hard culture, very direct, much more direct than Asda mm. at the time. And that also sort of uh, taught you a few things about how to conduct and behave yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, because what I love about what I love about you and and also what you do with Howgate Sable and the way you treat your clients and I, you know, I I've got direct experience of this being working with you and what have you is that you understand the customer needs in terms of the coal face, the end customer, but you also understand as a senior executive with the pressures that comes with that kind of what you need and what it takes to build a high-performing team and get talent into the business. And, and I, I didn't know all of your background. And as you were talking, I'm thinking, <laughs> ah, this makes a lot of sense now, right. what, okay. you know, where, where your career has gone. Uh, because you go, oh, geography degree, executive search and business owner. How did that happen? And, um, and actually, it makes a lot of sense to me now. But it is, I think that's, that's where the magic is for you, for you because you understand both sides of that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a, obviously I'm thinking about it a lot more actively than I probably ever do in the actual working life, but um, we like to put our best people in front of our best customers in the sense of we like to, so Neil is very strong in industrial markets. Yes. That's what he does, supply chain particularly. So he will go and talk to those clients on the level about their business problems and we'll then remedy that with with talents, with executives as required. I, I would like to hope that when I go and talk to an airline or a, a retailer or whatever, in my, in my sort of sphere of influence, that I can have the same impact. Mm. Because yes, I understand how these businesses work, but it's also important to understand what they need. Because often a lot of customers will tell you what they need, but that will be quite detached from reality. Yeah. And, and, and we've been involved with a lot of companies in, in the last few years, certainly, which have been in some distress or some turnaround. And you need a very different type of candidate to sort those problems out than you do the ones in high growth with high margin. Mm. And, and we have to remember that. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's kind of go back to basics because some people maybe listening to this might not even know what an executive search company is or does. So just describe what, what it is that you, that you do that, that actually solves a problem for the clients that you have, but also provides an opportunity for the candidates. Just okay. talk a little bit yeah. about executive search so, and so, what's involved. So um, I'll talk about it on two levels. So the first level is, is, is the sort of MO, if you will, and that's we will find and hire great people for companies. So we are a recruitment business, mm. easy. The other bit, the pure executive search, is, is actually where the exciting bit comes in. So what we will do is we will, let's use an example, let's say a, an airline wants to find a CFO. Yep. We will go and listen to the airline's requirement, how the roles come about, we'll take the brief, we'll understand what they're looking for in the candidate profile, and we will then Right up in conjunction with the team, and you know, we have some amazing people in our business. Um, so, our head of research, Liz Lachea, um, I should say director actually now, um, she will work with me to craft a brief that says, We think the candidate you're looking for will sit in this suite of companies. Mm-hmm. It might not always be other airlines. And, w- and we will then take that to market, we'll approach these candidates, or these target candidates, um, sometimes under NDA, sometimes not, and we will effectively tend to sell them this great opportunity we have with our client. Mm. 
at the point those, can, those candidates say, yes, I'm interested, we will then make an assessment decision based on, on whether they are a, appropriate or, or close to the brief or not. Now, that's a, a conversation, a read of the CV, maybe some referencing you know, in, in terms of what's in the media about them to, to sort of triangulate our view. At the point we think they are good, I will then interview them. And we will take that group of people from a, long, a massive long list it's important to talk about diversity here because actually when you start that process you have to have those diverse lists as you can mm. because you want to offer your customer the best range of options for them we will whittle that list down to a short list of three or four or five and we will present that formally to our customer they usually see them and then really it's about those guys making a hiring decision on what's best fit for them now there are a battery of tests and things we can do to help with those, those with making those decisions but really it's down to the, the client's choice. Um, once we've made the offer, and let's assume the candidate's accepted it, because in the current market, that's not always a given, mm. um, we will help administer the offer and walk them through the process up to the point that they resign from their current employment and join our new one. Mm. So that's the, the nuts and bolts of the process. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, it sounds very smooth, but it's often not. <laughs> As you, as you know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, so really you become a, you know, a partner, don't you? you know, the right-hand person for the CEO or the HRD, you know, almost an extension of, of their team, if you like, but with the, the professionalism and with the, the experience and, and dedicated skill set that you've got. Yes, we do. And I think there's a number of books about this in, in, in business world and um, books like Trusted Advisor and things like that. And, and we try and take that to the nth degree and live it. Mm. You know, we have to be able to have a conversation with our customers and clients that says, look, we don't think you've got this right. We think that you're not paying enough. It's based on the wrong location or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and we get really good at this when we have an active conversation with our clients about that. And as you say, you become a partner, an extension to what they are trying to do. And that's not to... Um, take away from the good work that the internal recruitment teams do because I was one for a bit in Asda mm, mm. so you've got to respect that as well um, but the best relationships we have are ones that have probably stood the test of time probably gone through ups and downs but where there's an implicit trust between all parties mm. uh, and, and that's where we are where we get most enjoyment out of the job, I think. Yeah, yeah. And if you were times where, you know, you've been having those interesting conversations with, with the CEO or the HRD that's, you know, that's sort of hiring at a senior level where maybe you have a, a view of what they, what would be better for the client mm-hmm. that maybe is is not so well received, shall we say, or there's maybe a, a bit of a difference of opinion. And how do you reconcile that in those scenarios? Does that ever happen? Oh, it does happen. Yeah. And if you don't know the client and you're pitching, because what, what I didn't say at the start of this, this question was often you're pitching against your competitors mm. and, and the client will decide which partner they want. If you don't know that client very well and you rock up with an opinion that the chief executive doesn't want to hear, you could easily be laughed out of court and say, no, we don't want to use you guys. We don't, think, we don't think you understand the brief or vice versa. And that's life, right? Yeah. We, you can't win everything. Um, where we have deeper, longer relationships, we're not saying we're always right at all. It's not about that. There's not an arrogance to this. But you've got to somehow create an active conversation yeah. about what they think and what we think and how that works. Because at the end of the day, we're on the same side of the table. Of course. And actually, sometimes there's information we've not been privy to. 
or they've not thought about or whatever. Mm. But as long as you arrive at the right outcome to set the search up in the right way, you usually be all right. Yeah, and, and I guess the point is that you're very passionate about what you do. Totally. You, know, you love people. I mean, Christ, if you didn't, you'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, it would be a bit career limiting, I think, yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, but so there's, there are there's there's, there's a plethora of, of uh, you know executive search companies out yeah. there, aren't there? There are lots, and some are big, and some are small, and some are well well known, and some are sector specialists, etc. Mm-hmm. What's different about Howgate Sable? Do you think? Um, I could launch into a really neat sales pitch here, <laughs> but I'm not going to because it's probably not. What I want us to be. We're just having a nice, an honest yeah, conversation. Yeah, exactly, and that's, I think that's, that's that's the thing. And so, if you talk to Neil or I or anybody else in our team, we want to be genuinely authentic. So we will do what we say we're going to do. Mm. We will give honest feedback. We we like to work on the, on the basis of trust, um, and I think that we care about it. So so, one of our our, our HRD clients years ago. She had a particularly difficult search in the aviation market, and there was a very limited number of candidates that could do this job. And I just said to her in passing, well, why do you use us over somebody else? And her exact answer was, flippantly, because you don't sleep at night when it's going wrong, so we can do. And I thought, okay. Maybe I should up the fees then, but that's another story. <laughs> No, but what a what a great what a great endorsement for what you yeah, do. Yeah, and, and the more I think about that, you know, yeah, I'm I'm pretty chuffed with that really. Yeah, that's amazing, yeah. fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about the broader market because obviously, you know, getting talent into any business is is absolutely crucial. Yeah. Um, and the world of work has changed a lot over the last you know X number, especially the last couple of years. Yes. What are you seeing when it comes to? attracting talent, retaining talent? What are some of the challenges and things that, that, that businesses struggle with or the market struggles with, regardless of sector, actually? Yeah, okay, so the, the, the common themes as we stand today, mm. I think, is the market is rebounding at a, from COVID at a faster rate of knots than some people in the market predicted. Mm. And I think that's particularly true in the aviation sector. Um, now, it's great news that all this pent-up demand for flying is coming back and testing's been right, all that stuff. I totally get that. But what COVID has done is drive a lot of talent at all levels out of the business yeah. into different markets and different places. It's made people reassess how they work and where they work mm. and, and, and what they want to do. So, so there's all these dynamics in the market that we've never seen before, really, um, that people are trying to come to terms with. What that means for the recruitment sector, particularly at our level, is it's much harder to um, get candidates over the line to go into new work because A, they want to be retained by the current employer. If you bear in mind that our job is to find the best people we possibly can, they're typically normally not looking. So the, the employer is doubly more keen to retain them. Mm. So therefore, puts more money on the table. Well, there's lots of counter arguments to that, of course, but the reality is that there's a lot of buy, what we call buying back going on. So putting more money on the table to to keep the executives that you've got. There's lots of people saying, "Well, I don't, I don't want to do that from a, a lifestyle perspective anymore," and that's fair enough. So actually, what we're seeing is a lot of work out there, but it's a lot harder to convert some of the candidates. The way we can mitigate that 
and this is important too because we, you know, our job hasn't going to change. Yeah, is encourage our, our clients to be really clear on what they want, really clear on where they want it from, and what they can pay. And once you start to address those matters with with potential candidates, you get a bit further on in the process. Mm. I always say to candidates, if the role and the compensation is right, the company and the opportunity is right, and your personal circumstance is right, and lends itself to going to this new opportunity, you will probably make the move. If one of those things in that triangle is wrong, you probably won't move. And our clients need to be aware of that and make sure that they are ready to deal with it. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And and for a candidate, you made a really, mm. just as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, like you say, the best people often aren't looking because yep. they're, they're in successful roles, they're probably being well remunerated, they're hitting the bonus targets, all of that kind of stuff. So actually, if it ain't broke, why, why fix it? Yep. So I'm not looking, actively yep. looking. And certainly through my career, I don't think they have sort of ever, I don't have ever applied for a job as such, apart from a graduate scheme, yep. you know. Um, so, so with, with, with candidates, senior candidates, what advice would you give to them if they're in a job, they're happy in a job, but actually, they're, so they're not necessarily proactively doing much, but they still have a lot of potential and could go on to bigger, better things, even if they're not at, proactively sort of out there looking. What advice would you give to someone to continue to sort of put themselves in the best position for those opportunities, even if they haven't identified them themselves at this point? Yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges for good senior executives who are focused on their, their, their company and, and loyal mm. is networking themselves and their own personal brand. And they don't take the time to focus on that. And that's, that's a challenge. Now, that's not me saying all senior executives should have a big, strong personal brand and put themselves in the shop window. That's, that's clearly not right. But what that does do is allow them to understand what the external market is doing. And that can be of benefit to them in their jobs, mm. whether they want to move on or not. You know, that's the bottom line. So I would always say to, to anybody, think about your knowledge of the external market. What events can you go to? What can you be aware of? What can you sign up to? This is not a full-time job. But it's something you should think about on a relatively frequent basis, even if it just takes up 2% of your time. Mm. So... I think that would be the advice I would give. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, there's a saying, you know, your network is your net worth. Yeah. And I I can certainly say from my perspective, that's absolutely spot on, you Mm. know. Um, So whether you're looking for a job or just wanting to meet interesting people, opportunities are everywhere. They are. Whether that's a business opportunity, whether it's a career opportunity, or just just an engaging conversation with someone interesting, you know. And and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I was certainly guilty of that in the past, you know, when I was sort of so busy in a job that I, you know, probably... I was relatively good at networking, but I wasn't so intentional about it. Whereas, whereas actually, I think if you just dedicate a small proportion of time to, mm. to and just kind of having your radar up a bit, not necessarily for a job opportunity, but just any opportunity by having a broader range of interesting mm. people well, <laughs> that you know, it's going to lead to things, whatever those things may be, right? I think it will. I think the bit I wouldn't want to lose sight of is that the benefit that this gives back to you as as an executive. Yes. So you're taking stuff back into the business you work at. So back to my first point, we're not trying to push everybody into the market here. Because I know when I was with Asda, 
if I'd been to events and got snippets of information from other retailers or other places, that was hugely beneficial to me and my job. Mm. You know, or the alternative is just get your head down and do your job. Well, that's fine, you, you'll, be a, you'll be a B grade player. But if you've got the external view and the world view of life gained from doing these sort of activities, you may become an A grade player. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really valid point, really valid point. And you know when you look back at when how you you grew up in, in Widnes yeah. with, with your mum yeah. and dad, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, very northern, your mum and dad, <laughs> and you said you had a great group of friends, yeah. and you know, almost like became, become family, you know, yeah, yeah. I often say you can't choose your family, but you do choose your friends, right? And, and, you know, I think you're still very close, aren't you, in terms of, you know, the people in your world. What would your mum and dad, what do your mum and dad perceive of your career? What would they say if I had them in a room and I says, oh, what do you think of what, not, what Nick's done with his life then? What would, what would they say, do you think? Um, I think they think I've done all right. <laughs> and, 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 and that's not, I think they would think it's all right, it's good. You know, yeah. I think the bit that they, they love the most is the fact I've got an amazing wife and two wonderful children, you know, and we have a, a, a nice lifestyle with that. Um, there's loads more we can do with, with the business and with life, things like that, but, you know, we're on a journey bringing the two kids up right now. But they, I think they would look, I think they'd be proud, in, 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 you know, for the most part. I think um, my mum came into the office just before the pandemic, and I think it dawned on her what the business actually does which was quite a nice moment for me because mm. my mum has been somebody in my life who is bringing stability and reliability, as mums do. Um, you know, and she was an amazing person at Midland Bank in the foreign exchange department. And then she went on to be a state agent later in life, did a great job, she worked hard. Um, my dad, um, I think, gets the, where the business is going, what we're trying to do. Um, but he's much more focused on the performance of the business, the performance of the people around it. Um, yeah, so I think they'd be pretty pleased. I'm sure they would be. Maybe one day I'll get to ask them directly myself and let's compare, <laughs> let's compare answers. What, should say something completely different now? <laughs> yeah, oh, God, disaster. No, no, I'm sure they are very, very proud, as they rightly should be as well. But, you know, you, you touched on around how, you know, the business has been through a difficult time, yeah. all businesses, you know, and, and we've all had to adapt and change and, and what have you. So what, what has, what's been the biggest, the, the biggest challenges for you as a business during this sort of pre-COVID and, and kind of where you are now? And then yeah. what are the things that, have come out of that which has put you in an even stronger position than maybe where you were originally even though you wouldn't have anticipated that necessarily at the time okay so when we went into covid i remember it well in december 2019 we had a a christmas meeting with the team and there was three owners um a chairman and a number of a a much bigger team Mm. and we had some amazing plans for the firm In, in its in its organisation structure as it was then and we were really excited and it got to January and revenues were good, things were fine so how do we move forward then we started to get wind of, of this new virus that was emerging in Italy from, from, from China to Italy with the ski season and then coming back into the UK and I was privy to um, a document from an analyst regarding a pretty big airline and it was trying to model and mitigate the effects of coronavirus. And this was in probably mid-February. And it had three or four scenarios on the table. The first scenario was fairly light. 
the Armageddon scenario for this particular business was all our airplanes would be on the ground. Mm. And we went from nothing to beyond Armageddon in about a week. And I thought, gosh. So as it happens, around the same time, the FD at the time and my colleagues were all thinking the same thing. So we went into immediate, how the hell do we take cost out of this business? How do we look after our people? Because actually, the one thing Harrogate Sable has always been, pre-dating me and, and hopefully now, is generous to its people and, and looked after them. Um, and a very flexible employer. Um, maybe before flexibility was on vogue, you know, as it should be. Um, but it's always tried to live with those values. So we had those two sort of, I guess, conflicting thoughts in our mind. Anyway, we managed to take the cost out. We managed to do the best we could by the people that we had. And hopefully the ones that unfortunately did leave, and there was some, you know, we managed to look after them and, and treat them with the respect and dignity that they deserve. Um, I really hope that is how they felt. I think it was, but you never know. Um, we also had the small matter of the fact the revenue from one of our big operating divisions, aviation, had gone. Now, fortuitously or otherwise, um, I think probably the answer is otherwise, that Neil runs a very good industrial group, which didn't stop recruiting. So his work with the team was able to um, keep the business afloat from a revenue perspective, while I focused on doing some slightly out of sector work, if I'm being frank, mm. but also working on some of the, the other stuff that had to happen. Mm. Um, and that was a, a turbulent time. It really was. And it was, you know what, it was for everybody. Um, you know, no better, no worse for other people like, like us. Um, I just have a huge amount of sympathy for everyone who got displaced. Um, and hopefully, as the market rebounds, people will benefit from that. Um, and certainly some of the people that have left us, we know are doing really well and, and we're pleased about that. Um, as we look forward, the business is, is half the size in headcount numbers. It's going to relocate itself to, to Liverpool, um, which is happening as we speak. Um, so we're better structured for, for scalability and growth. We've continued to invest in tech, we've continued to invest in the people that we've got. So we, we promoted Liz, who's our now director of research during that time. We promoted Chris Green's a partner and one of other people as well. So people have really, you know, walked with us through this journey uh, and, and we're immensely grateful to them for doing that. And we have a better business now. As we look forward, it's all about growth. So we're looking at external advisors who've been business friends to come and work with us on some projects. Um, we will open in Dubai in, in the coming weeks, which is amazing for us, a major opportunity. We're looking at evaluating other international locations a bit further down the track, and we're looking at our, our core UK and European business in terms of how we add heads to that. Now that's likely to be organic growth. It'll be selective, selective hiring of good people that we are currently developing relationships with. Um, we're not going to try and go from current headcount to double overnight, that wouldn't be right for the culture of our firm. Um, but I think now we have a very clear plan mm. for how we get from here to a better place. 
Yeah, and you know what? As you're talking, because we, you know, we, obviously it's been specifically harsh over the last couple of years because of COVID. Yeah. But the reality is, we have highs, lows, economic crashes. You know, adversity. We've, yeah. we've been through a lot. You know, in the business world, in the time that I'm, I'm a lot older than you, but the time that we've uh, we've not, been, not much well, actually. Fair not bit, much. Fair <laughs> bit, I'm cold. I won't say how. Let's not get into that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Anyway, moving on swiftly. Um, no, but but what you were saying around survival, actually, you know, when when there's a downturn or something hits you between yeah. the between the eyes, you know, you kind of got to react. And, and two of the big things that I took out—I mean, there's loads of things that you've yeah. done—but the two of the big things that I took out of from from that was really around manager cost base. Yeah, we did. Um, and 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 yes don't shy away from making those tough decisions even though they're really hard and you're dealing with people mm. and you do it in the right way in a respectful mm. way um, and then the third piece that, that really stood out for me when you were talking was around diversification of your earnings mm. and the fact that you you know you have got different verticals in the business have, yeah. s- saved you it to a certain degree as well or certainly was added protection oh it saved us that would, the, the, you know, the, the, the international industrial work that we did saved us undoubtedly yeah. I don't know how we would have funded it otherwise. Absolutely. The other bit, the second point you mentioned there was actually, the bit that, that caused me perhaps the most angst is when people had to leave, I didn't know what the state of the labour market was going to be that they were going to go into. Mm. So that was on my mind. Yeah. Because um, none of these people have had people. Not at all. You know, yeah. they were all and are great people. Yeah. And luckily, as far as I'm aware, all of them have done really well. Um, that's gone now. But these are things you have to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a previous boss of mine actually used to always say, it's as important how you welcome someone into a business mm. as, 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 as when they leave a business, mm. treat them with the same respect yep. as, as coming in. And, and often it's done so poorly when, when, when that has to, those tough decisions have to be made. But I think, you know, all credit to you guys. You pivoted, you changed, you, did, you made the decisions that needed to be done. And anyone listening, actually, if you're a business owner yourself or you're running a, you know, a, a department or a big corporate, you know, I think there's a lot of lessons here and, and advice of people as well. Don't shy away from, from dealing with that stuff, but do it in the right way. Yeah, treat it as your own mm. and with respect. Yeah. You know, these conversations are not easy. Uh, and at the time, most people can see them coming. So perhaps it's better that once you've organised yourself in terms of how you're going to do it, what you're going to do, don't wait, because that's not fair. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you think, it might be coming because very mind all of our competitors were doing the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And what did you learn about yourself during that tough time? Um, I learned I could probably do a lot more in the business than I thought I could. So, if you, my background obviously is massively from a corporate environment into into Howgate. Howgate had a big infrastructure around it, and that meant that I could focus on my core job which is a, effectively an executive search consultant. Um, a lot of stuff we had to outsource. A lot of things we had to do, we had to do ourselves. So now, I probably learned that I've probably got a few more strings to my bow. Um, probably got very comfortable having hard conversations with people as well. And sticking to my, my guns, my principles on things. Um, so actually, I've probably come out of it a, a better business person, if that makes sense. 
Oh, it makes absolute sense. Absolute sense. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. You know, I mean, not everything goes goes easy or well in, in business. It's hard. Yeah. It is. It is bloody tough. It, it really <laughs> is. And, and especially if you're, if it's your own money and, you know, it's tough in the corporate world. And it, but it's tough in a different way, I think. When when you, when you're a business owner, it's your own money, you know, and you, and you're dealing with people that have been with you for for a while, and it is more of a family, mm. you know. I think that that is really really tough, and and undoubtedly you will have come out with a far more rounded perspective, things that you've had to deal with that you would never have thought you had to, and 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 here you are, you know, ready for growth, really, yeah, which is great. I, I suppose the other thing I might add as we're sort of talking here. I would have hated for my destiny not to be in my own hands. I probably am a control freak. Mm-hmm. And you know, to go on to furlough or to be in a situation where I wasn't in control of the ball, I wouldn't have liked that. And, and we worked throughout. Um, so I probably learned that that's important to me as well. Yeah, yeah. And now, I mean, you're through the other side, which is great. We're talking about growth. Yep. Dubai's opening up. Um, you're going to be opening, well, you aren't, you're there, aren't you now? Mm. And it's going to be, you're obviously going to be pushing that and, mm. and really going for it. Um, and that's an interesting dynamic, actually, because the culture there is very different yep. to the UK. So talk a little bit about, about you know, I suppose, how you deal with different cultures and, and then we can touch a bit more on diversity and inclusion. Yeah, okay. um, but I think that's an important point to make is how do you navigate through? Well, most, I say most, quite a bit of our work is international. For me, mainly in Europe, but some in Southeast Asia, some in North America um, over the last few years. I think the key thing for me is, is you need to learn and understand the local etiquette because what's right for me here, Susan, talking to you, might not be right elsewhere. Uh, that's really important to have that respect. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, we will encourage our people who are involved with that project to, to understand that yeah. uh, and try and get close to the culture and immerse yourself in it. Mm. And I know a lot of people are out there already who, who I trust and I'm friends with, you know, and, and, and I'll be listening and learning a lot from that. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. Why, it would be stupid not to. Yeah, and, and you make a really good point actually around around mentors and role models yep. and people you can learn from. Yep. Have there been pivotal p- pivotal people in your life that have really helped you kind of push on with your career or given you advice and support and guidance, you know, when, when maybe you needed some some a different perspective? Y- yes, and, 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 you know, without giving away secrets as we talked about some <laughs> of the things we might talk about in this session, and actually... Um, I don't know if it's just me or other people that, that, that do this. Um, I hadn't thought about that in the context that you're challenging me on now. Mm. But actually, yeah, there's been mentors all the way through, sometimes without me even knowing it. Yeah. So the, the mentors that are always there are, are my parents and your friends. They just stay with you on the journey, whatever's going on. But at different points in my career, there have been different ones. So um, when I was at university, there was a, an eminent volcanologist who who... I work closely with on, on some pretty interesting stuff. Then, in my more formative years with ASDA, you know, I was working for one of the exec board. So why on earth not use that? Which I did. Um, in the middle bit, Michael Page was one or two, who, who you know, I've got a lot of time for. Um, there's others who maybe be less so, but it's a big business, so you, you can't please everybody. Um, 
and more recently, one of the beauties of my job is you expose, you're exposed to amazing people. So actually, I probably have, and you know some of them anyway, probably four or five people who I would class as really close business friends who now become friends, mm. who I trust. And, and they offer informal and sometimes more formal advice, um, which sort of guides you through. Because I think it's really important that, yes, you've got to make a decision. But it's nice just to validate that decision or to get a different view. And, and, and one of the big learnings for me in recent years was trying to see things through what's been described as other people's street corner. So I want to do that. But the person who it's being done to has a view. And if you can get into their shoes and understand that view, you will invariably come to a better place. So the short answer is yes. Yeah, yeah, it's so important, isn't it? And even mm. like you say, even if we don't think of it consciously, you know, if you can surround yourself with the right people, yeah. you know, it's going to make for, one, you'll be more successful, more fulfilled. Mm. And I guess the flip side of that, Nick, is sometimes there are people in our lives that maybe don't get where, where we're heading. They don't understand our journey. They don't buy into it. And, and sometimes they can be people that are close to, you know, family mm. members, yeah. it can be friends, etc. And as you've grown the business and shifted through your career, have you, have you had people along the way that have maybe been less supportive that you've kind of had to say, mm, okay, maybe I need to take a different approach uh, with this individual or, or probably, not so much? Probably loads. Um, <laughs> probably loads. I mean, you can't please everybody, can you? Um, you might, might try to, in some cases maybe I did. Um, I, I wouldn't be as, as blunt as that. There's been probably only one or two people I would say, I, I don't really want to be in your company because we were just different people. And, and, and I can think of those guys. But by and large, it's been all right. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, that's that's great because sometimes, you know, I, people I work with sometimes, who, if they're business owners and trying mm. to scale up or they're entrepreneurs or they're trying to get into property or whatever it might be or they're trying to climb the corporate ladder, you know, sometimes it can be people around them that can put them off, you know, or kind mm. of undermine their confidence or whatever. Not Not necessarily from a position of being... Uh, bad people just because they're very often they want to keep you safe but yeah. you know if you don't take risks sometimes then maybe you don't yeah, move I, forward you know in my close circle of friends they all support that's great actually that's that's a, that's, a, that's a straight answer um they they support you and then back back you as best you can you know i, I have a very good friend who who um is a partner in a pretty big insolvency firm and he's a very, very close friend, one of my best friends, really. Um, and he is on the money when it comes to corporate advice and advice to do with finance. So I always listen to what, what he says, um, even though some of it I might not want to hear. Mm. But you have to just take these things on board. Yeah, fantastic, brilliant. Yeah, it's good. That's, that's a great perspective. Find people around you that, that are going to help you, guide you, support you. Know the bits that you don't, you're not so good at yourself and get, get someone well, to help you with it. You know? well, well, this is it. And I think it, that's true for executives. Yeah. You know, I remember one guy years ago told me that he didn't surround himself, he didn't employ people that were, that were better than him. So if I say he didn't get past me, mm. I, I found that incredible. I think anybody who has that approach is stupid. If I can be as bold as that. Absolutely, you can be as bold as you that. like. You know, if you want to get anywhere, you must surround yourself with good people and listen. Mm. You can choose what you do with that information, but you must at least give them the courtesy of listening. 
Absolutely. And just building on that, what do you think are the signs of a good leader? What are the characteristics of a great leader? Or senior exec? I think one of the big things is if the team around them would run through a brick wall for them. It means they've done something that has connected them together. Now, in terms of behavioural traits, there are many, but obvious ones would be clarity of communication, clarity of thought, embracing other ideas, other views, a commercial acumen, understanding that what they do and say might impact in a negative way, but they have to do it. Also understanding that what they do and say might impact in a positive way, but they have to do it in a different way. Mm. So people who are Bright, I don't mean academically bright necessarily, but that's important. I mean people are streetwise and can, can relate to people, can understand what's going on on the ground, can translate that into real actions in the, in the boardroom and make it happen and take people with them. Mm. I think are the people we need to be looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for anyone listening that's maybe at an earlier stage of their career thinking, right, I want to be the CEO, I want to be <laughs> the CEO of a FTSE 100 business or, or whatever mm. it might be, if it's... You know, Nasdaq listed, you know, listed business, whatever mm. it could be. You know, it's it's worthwhile bearing that in mind because I think when you're at an earlier stage of your career, you're, you're possibly less aware of some of those behavioural characteristics that actually do make a really good leader. Um, yeah, I think the bit I'd add to that is a piece of advice I was given back at Asda was when you take your next job in the organisation, think about your job plus one. <laughs> so what do you need to do to get from here to here? Because often these are stepping stones that put things together. If you want to be a CCO of an airline, you've probably worked in revenue management, you've probably worked in sales, whatever, you might have worked in pricing. You've done it in discrete chunks and then you've brought it all together at the end. Yeah. Now, quite a few people I know, me included maybe right at the start, didn't get that. They just went and did the job they were paid to do and moved on and it, it, they landed where they landed. Um, What's really helpful for the people who are listening and maybe are at the level you're talking about is, is thinking like that, but trying to get a sponsor in the business at a more senior level. So a mentor or a sponsor who will help navigate them through. And if they are high potential, they will find their way. Yeah, that, that is great. That is great advice. And I think also keep your hand up, you know, look for opportunities, yep. proactive. Don't don't leave it. I used to always find it absolutely standing. I used to say, you, you know, you wouldn't leave your love life in the hands of some random stranger or someone. Why would you do the same with your career and your, you know, take control, mm -hmm. be proactive, push yourself out of your comfort yep. zone. Never be afraid to give something a go, yep. um, and and I think you know that combined with the advice you've given there is is absolutely gold dust because that's really what makes I think really strong strong characters, strong professionals, yep. great leaders. And but your point around if your team will will run through a brick wall for you, I think I, that that is that's fantastic. That it's just an indicator of what you've achieved. Yeah, I think um, you know, and also work ethic is the big thing, you know, and it, we, we talk a lot about flexibility now and, you know, where people will work from, the hybrid office, you know, lots of things going on in that space. Um, but you should never lose that work ethic. People are more relaxed about how you work now. Some are anyway, most are. One or two aren't, clearly look at some of the investment banks, they have a different view. Um, but mostly we are, that's the right thing to do. But we shouldn't lose sight of the underlying work ethic to get there because that will then affect productivity if we don't. 
Yes, well, for a lad from Widnes, that's very, very good advice, given all that, that great, um, you know, sort of, I suppose, environment you grew up in. Yes. Yes, it's, it holds good. I, I agree with you, 100%. You've got to put the effort in. You've got to put a shift in. <laughs> you can't expect to be any good unless you put the effort in. Yeah, 100%. 100%. One of my golf heroes, Gary Player, said, you know, the more I practice, the luckier I get. And that's true. Absolutely, absolutely spot on. Now you touched on some good advice that you've been given, you were given in the yes. past. Um, is there any other sort of amazing advice that you've received that you know has really sort of held you in good stead throughout your fantastic career so far? Uh, yes, there is one. Um, the one I wanted to mention really here was from my dad. So my dad is a very successful guy in education, um, obviously a very different road than me. But he said to me, really early on in my, in my professional career, if you focus on the performance, the results will always come in. So forget what you might earn out of it, what kudos you might get, what money, whatever it might be. If you just focus on the performance and doing the best you can with that project or whatever you're doing, the results will come. So in our, in our business now, if we focus on finding the best possible candidates we can get for our, for our clients, Everything else falls into place behind. That's the only advice I would take forward. Fantastic. I love that. I'm going to take that on as well. <laughs> Might be copyrighted. See, I learned so much as well. <laughs> there we are, Mr. Irving Senior. <laughs> and can you think of any advice that you've been given over the years that maybe wasn't, didn't work out so well, um, or advice that you, you, know, you kind of thought, hmm, don't think I'm going to follow that, and you were glad that you uh, didn't? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yes. Um, that's where you struggle with this sort of thing. But... Um, during the recession in, in 08-09, the business I was in is a sales-led business, and rightly so. We'd been very successful in the division I was running up until that point, and our sales just dropped off a cliff. Now, that might have been down to bad management from me, the marketing division, I don't know. We'll never really know. Um, but it was suggested that we should start pushing marketing out to customers that maybe hadn't heard of us before in a, in a slightly more, not, not aggressive, but proactive way. Mm. Now, bear in mind, throughout my career, we've built our business on relationships. This was a bit alien. And this individual was instructed me to do this. And, and, and I said, no. No, I very flippantly said no in a row about it, which I later apologised for. But fundamentally, that was just the wrong thing to do. We were clearly trying to chase the business that wasn't there. And actually, my view at the time, and, and, and is now, was the customer that, that this was targeted at would have had an even neg more negative view if they'd have received this information. So the flip side of that is know yourself, use your instinct, and be true to what you're good at. Because the recession ended, I did a bigger job, got to this, and all's well in the end. Yeah, absolutely. No, trust your gut. Trust yeah, your I gut. think so. Yeah, no, that that, mm. that that is that is true. And this podcast, Nick, as you yep. know, is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Yes. Obviously, you are all three of those. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here on the sofa with me. So that's You're too all. kind. Oh, not at all. I I'll pay. You, I'll pay you later. <laughs> I speak the truth. <laughs> but um, what does that mean to you, Brave, Bold, Brilliant? We'll start with brave. So I think 
for me, if you've got a challenge or an obstacle that, that you know you've got to get over, you've just got to do something with it, and you know it's going to hurt, if we're being honest, think about it, plan it, organise it, take a very deep breath and just get on with it. That's being brave. And that applies to anything. Yeah. The bold one, I think, and I'm learning this as a go, you've got to be confident and clear about what you are and what you can do. Because, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to, in a non-arrogant way, articulate that um, and have that self-confidence and, and, and that leads on to gravitas. That's just how you conduct your life. That's the bold bit. Um, the brilliant one is, is interesting because, you know, I think the disclaimer I'd put on that is that not everything is brilliant. Sitting in a room with, you know, a more junior member of staff who's got to let go because of COVID is not a brilliant act. You might be able to fashion a decent outcome, but knowing that is the first thing I would say. But I think for me, being brilliant is, 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 is if the result of what you or your business does results in a brilliant outcome for that individual or action, then that can be classed as brilliant for, for, for me. Um, and if you strive towards that as much as you physically can, you'll be all right. Excellent. Well, thank you. What the perfect way to end the podcast. Thank you very much. Oh, Nick, honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad we managed to do this. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Fabulous. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review. 